name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was in divinity school, I elected not to take biblical Hebrew, a decision that I have regretted since. But I did try retroactively to teach myself some. Back at the beginning of the pandemic, when all of us were trying to use our newfound isolation time to perhaps explore new hobbies, I connected with a friend of mine, and we taught ourselves some over the course of a summer, using the same textbook and connecting over Zoom. Uh, I did fine. He did well. but it has fallen by the wayside since, to the point where I have not touched my Hebrew note cards in a while. But there are a few Hebrew words that have still stuck in my head. One of them is malach, which means messenger. And when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, this word for messenger, malach, became angelos. And this Greek word angelos subsequently made its way through Latin and Old French and Old English and eventually into our contemporary English tongue and became angel. It wasn't until I studied Hebrew that I learned that the word angel literally means messenger. And although angels do all kinds of things, like sing songs and offer protection, what they are really more than anything else is a messenger of God. Indeed, when we go to the scriptures and we account for all of the times that angels appear, nine times out of ten, They are delivering a message, like saying to Mary, you will bear God's son, or later saying to a group of shepherds that this son has indeed been born. And in this way, angels sit at the crossroads of heaven and earth. They serve as a sort of connective tissue, joining us mortals with the eternal, helping to show us how very thin that divide is between the sacred and the profane. This is certainly what we see in tonight's reading from Genesis. One moment, Jacob is sleeping in a benign place with his head resting on an insignificant rock. And in the next moment, he is agog, staring at the sight of angels ascending and descending a ladder to paradise. The lesson is not so much that Jacob chose an especially holy place to rest his head. Rather, the lesson is more that God is always with us and that we are constantly standing at the gates of heaven most of the time without even realizing it. Though often sublime, encounters with angels aren't always pleasant. Jacob himself will learn this the hard way in a future angel encounter that will leave him beaten up and with a dislocated hip. 
Though the Virgin Mary is exalted and reassured by the angel Gabriel, whose name we sang in the opening hymn, Mary's cousin-in-law, Zachariah, is not so lucky. Gabriel ends up striking him mute. And the angelic visions from the book of Revelation, a portion of which was read tonight, contain some of the most jarring passages of the entire Bible. It would seem that at least sometimes touching heaven requires disturbances here on earth. Said another way, if the angel's job is to convey God's message, then God's message is often one of disruption, of popping us out of the everyday well-worn ruts of our life in order to wake us up to reveal something novel, and then to set us on a fresh path. The angel's song is less a sweet, easy melody and more a clanging call, less a comfortable chord and more a discordant din. In a way, tonight's music mimics this sense of angelic disruption. Anyone who has attended one of our typical Sunday services knows that a jazz mass, complete with stand-up bass and drum kits, isn't exactly our normal service music. And indeed, jazz itself is a musical genre that inherently disrupts the patterns and assumptions and structures of traditional music, with its focus on improvisation over accuracy, or how its blue notes mess with the intervals of the classical scale how its quarter and micro steps reject Western systems of tonality, and how its discordant, dissonant chords challenge our sense of what makes a sound beautiful. It is, of course, important to remember that jazz, which stems directly from enslaved and later free African-American communities, was routinely disparaged by white Americans as nothing more than noise, or at worst, something demonic until, of course, the 1900s when jazz became undeniably and broadly popular. If jazz is indeed the song of the angels, as it is for us tonight, then its invitation is to allow ourselves to be similarly disrupted, to ask ourselves what flashes of holy have I seen in my life, and how have those flashes, how in those flashes has God asked me to change and follow him? And perhaps most of all, where in my life do I tend to react with annoyance or defensiveness or dismissiveness? And what heavenly revelation might be waiting for me behind these pejorative reactions? As some of you know, before I entered ordained ministry, I worked on various college campuses most recently at Wake Forest University, where I was in residence life and housing. Not only did I work on campus, but I also lived on campus in one of the dorms. As you can imagine, there were many disturbances that came with having a few hundred undergrads as my neighbors. And I admittedly didn't always act with grace, when encountered with one of these disturbances. There was one day near the start of a fall semester where the room above our apartment 
was being so noisy, it sounded as if someone was taking bowling balls and dropping them on the floor. And as it turns out, there was not an RA on call. And so I couldn't do what I would normally do, which was call the RA and have them address the situation. And so I went up myself and I knocked on the door. And though I wanted to lead with something like, what on earth are you doing in here? I managed to collect myself and to instead start with, hi, my name's Keith. I'm one of your neighbors. I live below you. I'm a staff member here. What's your name? Where are you from? I was trying, y'all. <laughs> I soon learned that this was a suite of guys from the cross-country team, and that they were just so excited to be back on campus and to be near each other once again after a summer away from each other, and that they had funneled this excitement into playing the floor is lava game, and that what sounded to me like bowling balls dropping was them leaping across their common room onto the various pieces of furniture. <laughs> they ended up apologizing for the noise, and they pledged not to play this particular game in the dorms anymore. The next morning, I was leaving my apartment, and I discovered on my stoop an apology note from the guys along with some snacks that they had bought from the doors, from the dorms vending machines. And my wife was so touched by this gesture that she baked them cookies, which I delivered <laughs> later that week. And so began this beautiful friendship between us and the cross-country boys, who quickly became one of our favorite members of the Wake Forest community. I sometimes wonder about what I would have lost that night if the RA had been on call, if I didn't have to break my routine, if I doubt that I would have even met the cross-country boys. I also wonder how things would have differed if I had started our conversation in a dis in disciplinary mode instead of trying to get to know them a little bit if I had interpreted the pounding on my ceiling as nothing but ruckus to be corrected, I may have very well missed that as off-putting as it was to me. It was at its core a sound of joy, of reunited friends and innocent fun. It may not have been a vision of a ladder to heaven, but my eyes were open that day. And it was thanks to this disturbance in particular, that I heard an angelic message on the other side, a reminder that I needed to treat every person for what they really were, a beloved child of God also met, made in that image. My prayer for all of us is that we experience tonight's festal liturgy for what it truly is, a model for our lives that we might mind the messages of the Malachim, especially when those angelic invitations create dissonance in our daily routines, when they defy our expectations like a blue note or perturb us like the roughhousing of some teenagers, that we embrace these moments as opportunities to draw closer to God and to one another. 
It is my sincere conviction that it is exactly this posture of openness that helps us to see how the mundane material of this life, like an insignificant rock, like a box with a bunch of black and white keys, or a vending machine candy bar, that these things are in fact shot through with seraphic light. May our eyes be open, may our hearts be moved, and may our lips, like Jacob's, proclaim, how awesome is this place. This, this is the gate of heaven. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.